Hey, this is singer-songwriter and mental health advocate Stephanie Mathias. Be sure to check out my single Hero Side, available on all platforms now, and listen to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best indie artists. Hey everyone, how's it going and welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. Now, we all love a good quest, right? I'm not talking about like, you know, slaying dragons or finding the one ring, although those are a lot of fun too, actually. I'm talking about a more everyday quest. I'm talking about a quest to kind of find out more about, 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 about yourself, answer all those tough questions. That is exactly what my next guest did for her book, Solo Passage, 13 Quests. 13 Questions. Author Glenda Goodrich joins me. Glenda, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Okay. You know, we'll definitely get into the book, of course, but I want to ask first about the cover because the cover to this thing was absolutely beautiful. Where is this? Thank you. You know, quite honestly, it was um, image, a stock image. Oh, yeah. What? Yes. I was so sure that this was like something you may may have like snapped while you were just kind of out on one of your various, you know, walks. I know. That's what I love about it as well. Um, But, you know, when they came up with it, came up with the title and then they sent me like five different covers. And I sent them out to friends and family and said, which is your favorite? This one was hands down the best. And it looks a lot like many places I've been. So I will say that. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because I, yeah. I was I thought, oh, this looks maybe like it's like Nevada or the Grand Canyon or something like that. Yes, exactly. Or even Death Valley, which is where I uh, had my very first vision quest. So, your first vision quest was in Death Valley. Yes. <laughs> what? What happened there? Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I wanted to do something different for my fiftieth birthday. And I just wanted to do something adventurous and I wanted to do something that I wasn't quite sure I really could do. And it just so happened, yeah, that I found a flyer on a bulletin board in Ashland, Oregon, Wilderness Rights, Women's Vision Quests in Death Valley. And of course I got a chill, you know, up my spine, which is always a good indication that it's a yes. Um, Made the call and ended up there and you know, that's the first chapter of my book is that whole experience of being left alone for four four days and four nights in your, what we call your power place, your solo spot, and dealing with all your demons and, um, yeah. And the name Death Valley, you know, was sort of uh, so ominous. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so you're thinking, will I die? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and, Death Valley, yeah. I mean, it, this seems perfectly safe. I'll be fine. Not, It's not the complete exactly. middle, of, middle of nowhere, is it? Oh, yeah. But, there, you know, I always have guides, and the guides that um, I go with are very encouraging, and they do safety protocols. So though you are alone, you do check in with a buddy whom you don't see, but you have a little stone pile each day and each of you, one in the morning and one in the evening, you walk to the stone pile and leave a stone and to indicate that you're still okay. Wow. So, yeah. so if you get up and you see that there's no stone from your buddy, you think, uh-oh. 
you go look for her or him yeah. in their spot because yeah. oh. each buddy knows where the other's spot is. So, you know, there's safety protocols, but still just to be out there, no food, just water, four days and nights, you, you really have to face your monsters. And that's, that's the beauty of questing. You know, it is an ancient indigenous rite of passage that cultures have done for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And it's really about awakening to your own personal vision and your life purpose. So at 50, you know, midlife is perfect. Well, nice. it's perfect anytime. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, what did you experience on this particular vision quest? Well, I think the you know, the first day is just the horrendous hunger. You know, those hunger pangs. Um, and your body's kind of saying, wow, you've never gone without food this long. What the heck are you doing to me? So um, I actually kind of got sick that day. Um, and then the second day, the hunger calms down and you start really facing stuff. By the third day, you're settling in. And then the fourth day is where you really begin to see what nature has to offer you. Because the whole idea is your m- nature is mirroring for you what's going on within you. So if you look at a rock wall and you see demons and monsters in there, those are your own coming out through what nature is offering. So you go out and you, you know, have gifts from nature, but they're really a reflection of what's happening within you that needs attention, that needs resolution. So that first quest, I got naked (laughs) on my fourth day. And, you know, I have two children, so a 50-year-old naked body is, you know, not something you, you're used to doing. But out in nature with no one around, it was so freeing. And the lesson for me on that quest, the beauty, was I began to see that, you know, nature has her own lumps and creases and scars from birthing new land, birthing, you know, rivers. And so I began to see myself mirrored in nature, and I had a lot of healing I wouldn't say I had body dysmorphia, but I had a lot of body shame because I'm kind of an abundant woman. So I don't look like anything in a fashion magazine. Um, I look like who I am. And nature reflected that in a very healing and beautiful way. And I also came to terms with some of my Catholic upbringing. Yeah. And so I kept thinking, you know, God, the Father. And suddenly it occurred to me looking out at that beautiful land Animate mountains and no for me in this quest it's god the mother goddess the mother so it was lovely it was healing and it really i never knew i would continue i thought it was going to be my one and only right mm-hmm. and um at five years later i went on another one and i've been on one pretty much every year since wow and now i'm well over 50 let's just say that <laughs> Is there a certain spot for these quests that is particularly like special to you? Yes. Now I go with a group. We've quested together for 10 years. We are the Wild Hearts. That's a great name. I love that. You love that? That's a great name. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, I like that. Uh, You know, and we're so bonded year after year being together. And we go to um, a place called the Modoc National Forest which was on the border of California and Oregon, kind of on the eastern border. It's near, um, you might have heard of Lava Beds National Monument or Tule Lake or Klamath Falls. It's kind of in that area. And we have our own special little spot with a huge grandmother juniper that we gather under for our sharing and story council. And 
Yeah, it's our fave. And it burned. Part of it burned two years ago. Oh, yeah. But our spot didn't burn. Our spot didn't burn. Wow. It's amazing. That's magical. Yeah, we kind of saw it time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so when you started doing uh, your first vision quest, which, which, as you said, was the first chapter of the book, was it always your plan to do, you know, 12 more? Or was this more of a, as you went along, you said, okay, we'll do another one, another one? Well... No, when I finished, I was just so relieved I had done it. You know, I was just so relieved and so proud of myself. And um, it was, uh, wasn't until like five years later that it, the calling sort of came back to me and revealed itself that, you know, I was changed so much by that. I want to do that again. So thinking I would do it maybe every five years or something, because it, it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you, as you get older. But no, I... Um, stayed in contact with my guide and went out again and then again and again and again with her. I've quested with the same guide for over 20 years now. And um, suddenly every year it's like, yeah, it's my church. It's my church of the wild. I'm going back, get caught up with my life. How am I living? How do I want to live? Am I on the outside, the person that I feel on the inside, you know, am I congruent with, what I believe in my, are my actions congruent with what I believe? So it's such a powerful ceremony. It's something about the fasting and the being on the land that whole time on mother earth. It really elicits a lot. So yeah, it kind of snuck up on me and then became, you know, my, and I still go, it's changed for me now because of my aging. We called it, we call it elder questing now. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, tell me yeah. about your guide, this one you've had for 20 years. My guide is named Ann Stein. She lives in Ashland, Oregon, down in Southern Oregon. She um, has guided quests for a, about 40 years. She just retired. She's quite elderly. Um, and she has been uh, just a deep mentor. She is a um, earth, she's an eco psychotherapist as well as a vision quest guide so her earth-based practices are always right at the ready everything relates to the earth she goes out alone for like a month at a time um and she just opened my eyes to so much that i never would have known you know the idea of the four directions being guides for us and she mirrors. So on a quest, it's oftentimes, Max, when I come back, I think, geez, nothing happened. You know, what am I going to say in story council? Nothing happened. I got hungry, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. She can just connect the dots and say, well, you mentioned this, you mentioned that. Have you thought about how that relates to your intention? Because we go out with an intention each time. And a question, which is what the 13 questions are about in my book. Ooh. So she's a powerful woman. Um, I'm so grateful I met her in this lifetime. She's kind of understated. So, you know, she, had, she not, hasn't written a book and she doesn't go on speaking engagements. But I tell you what, she's the true, honest, authentic thing. No pageantry, no hype, just realism. I think she should uh, write a book, actually, because it'd be a great book. It'd be a fantastic story. I mean, 
We wanted her to. She said, that's not my thing. You write your book. Fair enough. And I'll yeah. be, I said, great. And you're going to be in it. So she's, you know, <laughs> there's not that many characters in my book. Me, spiders, snakes, you know, mountains, and, and Anne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, Birds, the spiders and the snakes. Birds. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How? It's, how are you at, at just kind of dealing with it with that like wildlife knowing that hey I'm, I'm out in basically the middle of nowhere there's all kinds of creatures here that could potentially you know end me yeah yeah frankly i'm more afraid in, in my inner city home <laughs> yeah honestly but, or yeah but honestly and uh one of the things my guy has taught me is that you know if you move slowly and you're aware and you're mindful and present just be careful you know, you're in their territory. You're a guest in their world. So before you put on your boots, shake them out. Make sure nobody has taken up residence, you know. Yeah, before you get in your sleeping bag, check it out and just make sure there's nothing in there. And her feeling about it kind of spiritually is if you are respectful, you will be respected in return. But somebody who recently read my book said, I call bullshit on that. Well, she's a good friend. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I need more. I need more. You got snakes out there, and you know, one of my chapters is about, um, I would call it sort of a visitation from a black widow spider, uncomfortably close visitation. And she's like, No, I'm not buying that. And I said, Well, once you get out there and you feel like you're a part of everything, it doesn't feel so alien. Mm. That's how I would describe it. It's kind of indescribable, honestly. Till you get out there and sure. you feel that connection. Now and were, yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. Something I'll, could happen. Oh yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Now where you live, is it very like developed or is it more of like a suburban area? Uh no, it's in it's eight blocks from downtown here in oh, okay. Salem. Where oh, okay. Um it's you know, I have lots of foot traffic outside my house, which I appreciate because I like some diversity. Oregon is such a white state and I love seeing all kinds of people coming by my house and I have a lovely garden and people often com compliment my garden, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just at the edge of a little higher um, value area, the oldest part of Salem and the edge between that and downtown. Oh, cause so, it seems like you'd be a little more comfortable heard, just living in, in like a, in like a cabin in the woods, maybe. For sure. I would love that. I've always, it's always been my dream until honestly, we, because of the fires we've had mm. really devastating fires. And I've, I've thought, rethought it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just happy where I am. I'm just going to stay where I am because I have my little piece of paradise here and I can go out, you know, in 20 minutes, I can be out in a, not, I wouldn't call it a wilderness, but a semi fairly wild area. I've got that and too, actually. Um, Will you do? Oh, yeah. So I live in uh, Western Mass, so it's very woodsy out here. And actually, you talk about the wildlife. We have everything. We have all kinds of hawks, bobcats, mountain lions, I think. I saw a bear one day when I was out for a walk. That was, t that was terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I've wow. never been so scared in my whole life. I, I saw, like, and we're turning around, and we're going to keep looking over our shoulder to make sure it doesn't follow <laughs> us. Because, like, 10 seconds later, I look back, and I see the cubs following the bear. I thought, oh, that would have been a lot worse. That would be, yeah. that would be, oh, you're so you're lucky. Yeah. Oh, I love it out here. It's beautiful. It's, it's great. We're, yeah. We live right next to a mountain. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Yeah. You know, 
this brings up a point that I wanted to make, and that is you don't have to go out on, on a quest, on a visual quest, and starve yourself to, um, you know, to really feel nature and, and feel the gifts and, the, and the, the things that nature has to offer. Just going out alone, seeing that bear, you know, what does that reflect in you? you know, that kind of thing. I love that. It's kind of woo-woo. But I love that aspect of nature. I, I really do. I mean, I'm willing to take a leap of faith. Okay. I, you know, I, I, and I think all of us need things to hold on to for hope, um, for the future. And I think the earth and the planet and nature is one of those things because it's, she's so resourceful. She will survive. I don't know about us in the long run, but the earth will. Yeah, that's hopeful for me. Yeah, I like that. Did anything inspire these quests in the first place? Uh, yeah, I uh, had, I was married twice. I, I'd had a boyfriend since I was about 12, right? Always with somebody, married twice, lived with someone, series of boyfriends, um, relationships that were always unfulfilling. Um, had a relationship with a woman as well. That wasn't it either. And by the age of 50, I'm like, you know, I really want to get to the heart of this. What is going on for me with this longing? And I realized on the quest, actually, that the longing is for a belief and a uh, connection with something greater than myself. I was looking for the other part of myself and a partner. And you can't, you can't do that. You got to go in whole, I think, right? To have a fulfilling. So, um, you know, I was willing to to just go out there and face all that. And as I wrote in my book, I, I was always the one who left the relationships. And on my quest, on my first night, I made a vow I wouldn't leave. Yeah, I said, even if I'm just a lover of bats and rocks, I'm in here. I'm in for the duration. And it worked for me. I'm still single and happy. <laughs> and I, you know, I have two lovely kids and three grandchildren and four great grandchildren. So, Hey, I got a happy, loving life. And I don't, you know, I mean, a relationship would be lovely, but I, I'm not really looking at all. So that was what it was about. Max, honestly, it's like, I'm unfulfilled and these relationships aren't doing it for me. So what else is there in this life? Do you think, are you speechless? I'm a little bit. <laughs> yes, actually, definitely. Definitely. Do you feel like you're a very different person after the completion of all these quests? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the way I said it in my book, and I kind of struggled with that, because that's part of a memoir, is you have to show transformation of your um, narrator, you know, yourself. So I really wrestled with that. What is, how do I put into words? And the way I described it, which I think sums it up pretty well, is that I uh, moved from, I, tr I transitioned from a woman who worked to please everyone else to a woman who forged her own path in life. Because it was through questing that I became an artist. I am now an art doula. I am a soul collage facilitator. I do kintsugi ceremonies, breaking and mending, and I am living, and I wrote a book. I'm living my best life. And I don't think any of that would have happened without my annual visits into nature to really stop and reflect. What am I doing? Where am I going? What do I want? Yeah, I checked out some of your art on your website. It's absolutely beautiful stuff. Really, really amazing. 
Was it inspired at all by your vision quests or does it come like before or after? I do a lot of art on my quests, a little notebook. That's one thing, you know, they, they, they discourage reading a book because it takes you out of the present, but they encourage, they being my guides, they, she encourages journaling and art and art for me is a conduit right in to what's happening. So I get in ideas and inspiration, um, but the final pieces come later after I've had some time to reflect and really uh, let it soak in and just let the canvas kind of help me find the way. Yeah, so most of it came later. How about the questions? Because because uh, because as the as the title tells us, this is thirteen quests and thirteen questions, and it sounds like you went into each one with a different uh, a different idea or a goal. But what were some of these questions? Well, um, the the question on my first quest was, um, you know, what gifts does nature have for me if I open up myself to the possibilities? You know, kind of the essence of learning how to quest on that very first one. Um, my second quest was all about my becoming an artist. And the question for me was, what is there else is there for me in this life? And why is it taking me so long to show up for what I really want? Because I was an executive, corporate executive, uh, vice president of human resources. And that, again, it was unfulfilling. I found my way to the top of my career. I worked for it, worked for it, got there. And I'm like, this, this isn't it. So on that quest, I really asked that question, okay, then what is it? Um, and then, it, you know, each chapter holds a question. The third chapter was, how do I be the best grandmother I can be? Yeah, yeah, because I didn't have any grandparents. Um, and I just, it began, that's why I wrote the book actually was for my grandchildren and great grandchildren. And I had that realization, that, you know, this is going to go by so fast. I want to be in their lives for them um, to kind of make up for the fact that I never had a grandmother. I think I was overcompensating, but, mm-hmm. and then it goes on, you know, there's one I will mention real quick is my brother had died several years before the quest and I I wanted resolution with him and so the the question for that quest was can you find peace and forgiveness with someone long after they're gone from the planet were these questions <clears throat> that you came up, came up with yourself or did your guide and kind of help you shape them she helps okay yeah it, part of the quest in preparation is we sit <clears throat> together and each person talks about their longings and their intention. And then, you know, her feeling, Anne's feeling about that is, is you go out with a prayer and a question, and then you wait for the answers to come in the form of me- visitations and messages from the earth. And so she would help me craft hmm. each question. Yeah, it, on each quest. You know, it occurs to me that this really seems like Glenda 2.0 because it sounds like the person you were before you know uh, the corporate executive in lots of relationships that was a different version of you and now we have this new one the artist uh the soul collage facilitator the vision quest person is that accurate that's very accurate yes that's right kind of conventional to unconventional mm. um in a way 
you know, uh, superficially living on planet Earth and then spiraling down to really live with planet Earth is another way I would describe that. Mm. Um, you know, we all have a purpose or as the indigenous people, some tribes call it your medicine that you bring to your tribe. We all have that. And to find that, I think, is the key to a happy life, a fulfilled life. And the rest of the stuff for me was a vehicle to get there. Like, I needed a good job. I'm so thankful I had that career, you know, um, financially and and so on. So, yeah, good question. Um, All right. Uh, Let's talk about the writing process. Was it always your plan to chronicle this in a book and then publish that book? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. No, I didn't I, think so. Uh, uh, no, no, no. It was that quest about grandmothering mm. that I realized, you know, it would be a great offering and a great legacy to leave a book for my little beloveds. And because I used to tell, yeah, I used to tell my kids, my grandkids that are here in Eugene, this my vision quest stories. That's how I started. And they didn't know it was me. I would just say there once was a woman, you know. So they loved this whole idea. And I thought, I'm going to write a book. So when they're older, they can remember that and know it was their grandma. So great idea, right? But I was not a writer. I, I, I mean, we're all writers in a way, but I was not a writer. Certainly not an author. And so there was this feeling like, yeah, that might be a great idea, but I can't really do that because I, I don't, I'm not that kind of a writer. And, but it wouldn't let me go. It really took, I had a tiger by the tail and it kind of became its own entity. Solo passage almost feels like a separate person from myself now because it's, it was, you know, born into the world. And uh, my mantra while I was going to writing school for four years in Portland, I took a writing workshop for four years, and then I worked with um, a couple of mentors for a year before I finished. My mantra was, I just want this book to be worthy of the experiences and the gifts that I had out in nature, the gifts that were given to me. That was my mantra, and that got me through. That got me the dedication, the commitment to sit down and write every day, to have all the failures to learn everything about writing that I could and just keep trying to make it better and better and better. And then um, I took a memoir class with She Writes Press, probably, you know, like three quarters of the way through. And Brooke was my um, mentor in that class. And she said, are you going to publish? And I said, I'd love to, but I don't want to go through querying and rejection and agents telling me it's not good enough. I need to change this and that to make it more saleable. You know the story. And she said, we would love to publish it for you. And I, I was just like, really? So they are, She Writes Press is hybrid publishing. So we share the, the financial aspect of it, which is great. It was great for me because, um, at the, you know, in my 70s, I just didn't want to go through all that up and down of querying. I mean, I commend people who are willing to do that and stay with it and go after it. So, yeah, I I just had to become a worthy writer. And I can say that the feedback that I'm getting is I think I made it. I think you so, know? too. It's yeah. not, oh, bless yeah. you. Solid it's reviews. not going to be a New York bestseller, but it's reaching people who uh, it needs to reach and people who are 
really moved by it. It's not a New York Times bestseller yet. Yet. <laughs> you never know. Thank you. You <laughs> never know. And actually, uh, Sharon's uh, Press yeah. is definitely a familiar name because we've had a lot of their writers on this program. How did you come uh, to work with them? I, mean, I, know, I know you mentioned the, uh, the, uh, the memoir class, but how did they kind of pop on your radar? Yeah, you know, I don't remember. <laughs> Great answer. I, I love it. Re- I love it. I I just, you know, what happens to me a lot is I get, I like you and like everybody, I get so much stuff in my email and most mm. of the stuff I just, but every once in a while I think, oh, I'm going to check that one out. And it's often something else speaking, you know, coming through that that's something you need to look at. And I think it was that sort of a thing. Um I remember, I'm not going to mention who this is, but I remember my writing teacher in Portland said something very derogatory about hybrid publishing and um, self-publishing. She was just not a fan. And then she, you know, was specific in that with some names of some high. And so uh, I, I, it never would cross my radar. I mean, being a newbie, I just trusted everything she told me. Which turned out mostly to be okay, but not in that not in that case. But yeah, I don't remember. That's a great answer. No, it's perfect. I love that because cause usually it's it's like a mission. Like you know, you talk to someone and you find if you find these folks. It's like no, I have no idea. They just kind of came on my radar, and there we go. That's so cool. Yeah. They're a really really great company. They're really good. They have some amazing writers uh, among the membership. Oh, I've learned so much. They've been so helpful, so patient. Mm. With, you know, people like me who know nothing and ask all these uh, very naive questions. But, yeah, they're they're tremendous. I can't recommend them enough. It's worth every penny I spent. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Now, one of the things I've heard as writers, I think this is very true. The first draft of everything is terrible. That's how it usually goes. First draft is terrible. It never sees the light of day. Did your book undergo a lot of revisions before you said, okay, ready to publish? Oh, gosh. Yes. I mean, I would say maybe 15, 20 revisions. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, I I would have it done and then I would learn about things like weasel words. Mm. You ever heard about weasel words? No. What's that? Well, if you say, maybe I should have, or it seemed like, you know, it's kind of weasley to just say, should have, you know. It was as if, or something, uh, you know, get the weasel out of it and just say what you mean. So then I would do a search through my whole document for those words, and I would clean that up. And then, you know, I would learn about too many words that end in L-Y, right? Oh, yeah. So I would go in and clean that up. Um, And then, you know, in the final versions, you have a developmental editor who would say, wait a minute, you said this was 10 years ago, but you're saying you're um, 63. You know, those kinds of things. You go in and clean that up. And then, of course, there's all the copy editing. But, yeah, I kept learning more and more and more. And like I said, this was a labor of love. And I was willing, man. I'm like, I am not putting this out until I feel really good about it. And then I had writers critique groups. I had three different writing critique groups. Yeah, and they would give me ideas, and so, uh huh. It was, you know, I had that bought this book, and I would recommend this book to anybody called Living Revision. Have you heard of that book? Nope. 
well, I, I have it in here and I, but I can't think of the author's name, but it is wonderful. It's all about leaning into the process of revision as a, as a gift, as a normal thing, not as something to resist. You know, it's just beautiful. She has all these wonderful exercises. So that helped a lot with revising. I just decided to uh, quickly uh, to quickly uh, jump on to quickly um, uh, jump on the Google because I thought we should definitely mention this writer. So it's called a "Living Revision: A Writer's Craft and Spiritual Practice" by Elizabeth Jarrett Andrew. Highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. So, given that this had to go through so many different eyes, the editors and the critiquing groups, how'd you know when it was done? <laughs> I got tired of it. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. It's like, it's like, I'm sick of this. Fine. I don't care. Put it out there. Whatever. Well, exactly. I mean, I began to realize this can go on forever. Yeah, definitely. At some point, I want to get this book published. Uh, so that that was really part of it. That's perfect. And, I love and just that. Real, yeah, yeah. And then just, you know, the question, have I done the best I can? Sure. Yeah. I think I've done the best I can. It's not perfect. It may... You know, maybe nobody will read it, but um, it's the best I can do for now. So, yeah, yeah I got tired of it. Yeah, it really, at some point, you got to put it down and say, no, I, I, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. It's it's fine. Because I, 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 you could always yeah. find something to fix. There's always something yes. you could find to take out or put in or whatever. But I think unless you're willing to say, you know what, I'm happy with it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I I know someone who's been writing her book for 25 years. Oh, geez. And yeah, I'm like, wow. I wonder if she'll get it published before she dies. Yeah, it's a valid question, actually. 25 years to write a book. I mean, I've heard some people take, you know, 10 years, but it's usually because life kind of gets in the way. They have to work or they have kids or what have you. Yeah. But if you're just flat out writing for 25 years, oh, boy. That's curious. Yeah, I think she loves she loves the research. Oh, the research is a rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, dear. Research is yeah. a, ask anyone who writes in science fiction, they'll say the research was like three months before I even wrote anything. Whoa. Because it's, there's so much to learn. There's so much to discover. I mean, like any kind of thriller writer or any writer who works in like a, in the, in like a sciencey genre, there's like months and months and months of research before they say, okay, chapter one. Yeah. So, wow. How does it feel to have this book done? It's out there. People are reading it. Yeah. You know, this has been really interesting. Um, one of the things I always remembered about my art, or not my art, my um, writing classes was, uh, what did she call it? The, um, what is most personal is most human. So I made it very truthful and very personal. And some of the first feedback I got was, you are so brave to write about all those things that happened to you. I would never have the courage to write about that stuff. And you're really brave to go out alone in the wilderness, et cetera, et cetera. But it was, I had what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover when it first came out. When I did my book launch party and I did the reading and I got all the feedback and I came home and I just cried. I'm like, what have I done? I've exposed myself to the world. What was I thinking? You know, generations from now, my great, great, great grandkids are going to know I had I was um, an adulteress. You know that. <laughs> anyway, 
since then, I have gotten so much amazing feedback that I have learned to open myself to receiving it. Because I think that vulnerability hangover is about shame and feeling unworthy and feeling, you know, oh my gosh, people are, people are just going to judge me. But yeah, well, we judge everybody all the time. So what? Yeah. Um, and so I just have been learning and I'm, I get so many lovely texts and emails, you know, how much the book touched their soul, how much they were right there with me all the way along the way, um, how much my experiences mirror their own. These are mostly women, you know, but men have given wonderful feedback as well. So, so I've just been really focusing on letting it in, letting it in and not deflecting back to them to go, oh, you know, that was really kind of you to say, to just say thank you. Because it's a gift when they give me that feedback, it's a gift to them that I would receive it with grace. Mm. And so it's been a lot about learning to receive. And I, I'm, I'm very proud of myself. As you should I did be. it. Yeah. You should be proud yeah. of yourself. This yeah, is an I mean, amazing story. All right. Thank you. All right. So Glenda, we're coming down to the end of the conversation. But before we go, the big question is, is there another book? <laughs> Maybe. There's nothing on the horizon. Uh, there's some things that are percolating. You know, I've been thinking about these 13 questions and um, some kind of an expansion of that, either perhaps a, an accompanying, um, I don't want to call it a workbook, but an accompanying piece that maybe could help people access some of this for themselves and this idea that nature is available. So we'll see. I like appreciate that. the question. It yeah. gets me talking about it. Exactly. Boldly. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, if you want to learn more, you go to glendagoodrich.com. Everything's there. You can check out her amazing artwork, learn about her soul collage work. All of it's there. And of course, you can get yourself a copy of this book, Solo Passage, 13 Quests, 13 Questions. And Glenda, thank you very much and looking forward to the next conversation. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening. And be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find the show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts. And new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now. And I'll see you next time.